0: We're at Psalms chapter 30 and the title is Songs of Deliverance. And one of the things that we're going to see here in Psalms chapter 30 is that David not only has he rejoiced because he's had and received the answer to his prayer, but you see here in chapter 30 that he pauses now and he starts to sing about the goodness of God. I think it's important that we pause in our lives right now, wherever we find ourselves, that we pause for a moment so that we can sing so that we can remember so that we can acknowledge and worship the Lord for his goodness and right here in chapter 30 of the book of Psalms we're going to see God's goodness that David talks about God's goodness in spite of David's disobedience now isn't that a season in our lives that we too have gone through where where we can sing of God's goodness in spite of our disobedience You see, it's believed that during this time that David was outside of the will of God and he was coming back into obedience with the Lord after having numbered the people of God out of pride. In 2 Samuel, now David, you know, wanted to number all the people and it said that the consequence of him numbering the people to want to see how strong his army was that really belonged to the Lord, the consequence of that was that seventy thousand of the nation of Israel died now we know that being outside of the will of God has its consequences and oftentimes it is our pride that takes us out of the will of God and it was the pride of David that took him out of the will of God to number all those people because he wanted to in his pride see how strong he was but this thing displeased the Lord and 70,000 of the nation of Israel died But now David came to ask for forgiveness, and the Lord now forgave David and gave him the blessing of a new beginning. (laughs) How many of you guys have been blessed with a blessing of a new beginning after being disobedient to God's will? Because this is exactly here what happens in Psalms chapter 30 as, as the Lord forgave him and blessed them with a new beginning. It's been said before that The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. I'm going to repeat that for you because I really want you to take note and really let that sink in your heart that the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. We thank God that he's given us a series of new beginnings. And here we're going to see that he is so grateful in chapter 30. David, he opens and closes here with a note of thanksgiving. This entire psalm is bonded together by prayer and by praise as he's dedicating again the house of the Lord to him. And we see that David is coming from a place of depression, from a place of being hurt now, to thinking now about the goodness of God, to thinking now about the faithfulness of God. Now this is amazing because we can come to the Lord with a note of thanksgiving, with our now prayer time bonded by praise, and now thanking the Lord, coming from a place of hurt, maybe of even depression or anxiety, to thank God for His faithfulness that has sought us through. Now notice what happens here in Psalms 30 verse 1, because this is exactly how he responds to the goodness of God in his life, to a series of new beginnings. And maybe today you need a new beginning. Maybe today you've come because you need to ask the Lord for forgiveness so that His grace can give you a new beginning. Now notice the heart, the attitude of gratitude here. Because this is a prayer of thanksgiving. He says this, I will exalt you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. You have not let my now foes or enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I've cried out to you, and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave, and you have kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at his remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his savor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your love, for your grace, and your mercy. And we ask God, Lord, right now, that you would cover us, that you would teach us, Lord, to respond, Lord, to your grace that gives us a new beginning. We thank you for the example of David, that he came and he praised you with songs of deliverance, because, Lord, you had been faithful in his life. And I pray, Lord, that we would be determined to praise you. Regardless of what's taking place around us. That we would not be distracted, but we would be determined to praise you. And we pray this all in your name, in Jesus' name. Together we said, Amen. Listen to this, how David begins the song. And he says, I will exalt you, or I will lift you up. I will praise your name, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. You see here, he's thanking the Lord for deliverance. Not only have you lifted me up, but here what he's saying is that you have rescued me. Number one, I thank you, Lord, because you have rescued me from my enemies. You have rescued me from them rejoicing over me with victory. And he's determined to praise the Lord because of this. Notice what he says in verse 2. O Lord, my God. This is a prayer, he says, I cried out to you and you healed me not only did the Lord rescue him from his enemies or from anguish the Lord also number two healed David and it is believed that the healing that was taking place was a, a corrective now season in David's life due to the disobedience that he had committed and we see here now that the Lord now healed him from the physical anguish that he was going through Now I love this because maybe me and you have come today, and the Lord has rescued us from a season that we needed deliverance from. But not only has He rescued us, He's also provided healing. That's exactly what God wants to provide for us today. Not only a rescuing, not only a deliverance, but also a healing. Notice how he says this. Now you healed me from a type of sickness or you've delivered me. You brought me out. Notice how it says here in verse 3. You brought my soul up from the grave. I was now to the point of dying and you kept me alive. I had lost hope now. So I should not go down to the, to the pit or to the grave. Now do you see this declaration? Lord, it was you that has kept me Alive, only you have delivered me. You have, you have been my unique healer. Do you see how he looks to the Lord as his unique healer? As he knows that the Lord is the resource now to his restoration, for his rescuing, for his salvation. And notice how he goes on and he sings now a song because of God's faithfulness. Now he says this, verse 4. This is the response. Now, I want to ask you, what is your response for the faithfulness of God? Because His response is, is in verse 4. And it says this, Sing praises to the Lord, you saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. Every time you remember His name. That your lips will be filled with praise, and that your heart will be filled with thanksgiving. This is a call. Verse 4 is a call. A call for what? A call for the church to corporately worship the Lord. This is why he says sing praise to the Lord, you saints of His. Now notice here that he's calling us to corporately come as a congregation and to commit ourselves to daily worship together, all you saints. Worship the Lord because of His goodness. All you who belong to Him worship, give thanks and remember now His holy name. Do you notice here that it started from his personal worship? And then from his personal worship, it enriched now his public worship together. I love what Warren Worsby says about this because he says this, personal worship that does not enrich our corporate worship may become selfish and lead to more pride. Now I love when we come to church and we worship the Lord. And notice this, as it is our calling to come and to worship as a congregation together, the time that we spend worshiping is only a reflection of our personal time with the Lord in worship already. When you have been worshiping the Lord already, you can come in the congregation of the saints and say, Lord, we, have, we are ready to worship you. We wanna come and lift your name as we remember your holy name. Notice how he continues now in verse five. For his anger, notice that he just came out of the discipline of the Lord. And oftentimes, when we come out of the discipline of the Lord, now remember this, because this is so refreshing. You just came out of the corrective, now discipline, and the loving hand of God upon your life, and it says, for His anger is but for a moment. And He's going to give us a contrast. The anger of God is for a moment. God's anger or God's correction, God's discipline is for a moment, but His favor, underline this church, is for life. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? God's discipline may be for just a moment. But His grace upon our life is for a lifetime. And this gives us now a place to be able to worship the Lord as we contrast the anger of God in comparison to the favor of God. Notice His favor lasts for a lifetime. And He goes on and He says this, Weeping may endure for a night. Have you ever been in this place of your life? Or maybe at night you find yourself crying out to God in anguish, in anxiety. Crying out to God for deliverance. Crying out to God to rescue you, to redeem you from your situation that you find yourself in. And you can go back to the Word of God where it says weeping may endure for a night. Notice this, a night. But notice what it says here. But joy comes in the morning. Isn't that amazing? Yes, I'm going to have a season of maybe of weeping, maybe a season of tribulation. But God has promised me joy in the morning or joy with a new day. This is hope. You notice that this song comes with a promise. This song comes with a hope. I love what Isaiah chapter 54 verse 7 tells us. The prophet now is speaking on behalf of the Lord where he says, where he's telling the nation of Israel, for a moment I have forsaken you in discipline. But with great mercies, I will gather you for a little wrath. I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is amazing. It was for a little moment that maybe the Lord went and disciplined us. But the Lord's mercies and compassion will draw us in. And notice here that He doesn't necessarily replace sorrow with joy. The Lord does not replace sorrow with joy. But He transforms sorrow into joy. How does He transform sorrow into joy? He transforms sorrow into joy by teaching us from the moments in which we depend on Him and from the moments in which we cry out to Him. In fact, Jesus Himself said it in John chapter 16. He said this, Most assuredly I say to you, that you will weep and that you will lament but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will be turned into joy and he gives an example almost as of a woman that's going through birth pains right and it's going through now de- delivering the baby and for a moment there is a a momentary time of pain but after that comes joy as she's holding her baby in her arms this is exactly what now the Apostle now John tells us from the words of Christ and now what the psalmist David is telling us about the favor of God that lasts for a lifetime. The pain might be momentarily but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Notice verse 6 it says this, now in my prosperity I said I shall never be moved. Has it ever been us where we say when things are going well I'm never gonna be moved this is my time I'm not gonna be shaken. When everything's going well, it, we have the tendency and the reputation oftentimes to trust in ourselves and say, I'm not going to be moved. I'm not going to be shaken. I'm I, I in myself in seasonal prosperity. We become very careless or carefree because of the assurance that things are going well and, and we can become very arrogant very quickly and say, I'm not going to be moved now. You know, I, I love this saying that I've heard before that says this, prosperity without humility can lead to more adversity. Prosperity without humility can lead to more adversity. We must realize that in those blessed seasons in life, that it's the favor of God that has us here. That it's not because of your own goodness. In fact, He realized that. Lord, thank you because you humbled me when I was proud and I was trusting myself. Be careful that when the Lord blesses you, you don't become proud because the most dangerous place in life or in ministry, it's when it becomes successful. You know why it's dangerous when it becomes successful? Because you start to rely on yourself. And you think that this is because of your hard work that you are at the place that you're at. Notice what he says here in verse 7 because it says, Lord, by your favor, it is your favor that has kept me. You have made my mountain stand strong forever. You have given me a foundation, Lord. It has always been your grace. You've made me stand strong. When you hid your face, notice this, uh, and I was troubled. When your presence was absent, then I was afraid. But when your presence was there, I was blessed. Have you ever noticed that there are times in our lives that when His presence is missing from our lives, we quickly are filled with fear. And that's exactly what he's saying. When your face was absent, when I couldn't see your face, when you hid your face, Lord, I was afraid or I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and the Lord I, and to the Lord I made my supplication. Notice as he, how he's forgiven as he cries out to God. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? O oh God, deliver me before I die. Because what good am I if I'm dead? <laughs> and this is exactly what David is saying. Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. Verse 10, you know what he's saying? Lord, be my power. Lord, be my strength. Lord, be my salvation. I cried out to you. And notice how now his song is turned into praise now. Verse 11. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Wow, isn't that a beautiful promise from the Lord? Have you ever been in a season where you have been mourning? In fact, he says, Lord, I was mourning. I was heavy in mourning. I was saddened. I was going through the discipline. I was going through the trouble. But you turned that. You didn't exchange it. You turned that into dancing, into joy as I put my trust in you, in your presence. Not only that, I took the clothes off of mourning and I put on the clothes now or the garments of praise to celebrate, to dance now. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Now when they went to mourn, guess what they would do? They would put on sackcloth and ashes and they had special clothing for mourning. But he says, Lord, you've made me take that off and now I've been able to put on now the clothing of celebration or the clothing now of dancing and of gladness. In the end, here it says, verse 12, That my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Do you see how he's grateful for the Lord? That it has been the grace of God that has kept him. That even though he has been disobedient to the Lord, the Lord renewed him. And the Lord transformed that season of difficulty into praise. The Lord transformed that season of difficulty and of mourning into joy and into dancing. And He's taking refuge now. He's taking safety that no matter what, the Lord now is present even in the most difficult situations. And we're going to see that even in chapter 31 of Psalms. That this is a psalm where He acknowledges the problems that are taking place in His life. Where he acknowledges the prayers that are taking place in his life. But also the praises now. And he's walking on this road that takes him from anguish to assurance. You know what's going to take you from anguish to assurance? Is prayer and worship. Because when you spend time in prayer and in worship, guess what? It, it, it takes your, t- your soul, it takes your spirit from a, a place of anguish into a place now of assurance that you're trusting in God. I think the moment that we stop praying or because we don't pray or because we don't worship, we automatically stay in a place of anguish. But it's prayer that welcomes us to assurance. It's prayer and worship that welcomes us and it gives us the confidence and our trust in the Lord. Ask yourself, how much worship are you doing in your own time? Because what he's doing here, he's telling us now that in chapter 31, he was being slandered. He was being lied about. The people were talking bad about him. And he reminds us in chapter 31 that in times of stress, relying on the Lord, depending upon the Lord, requires complete now commitment. You want to depend on the Lord? That's going to require commitment on your behalf as well. There are often times when we say, well, I'm going to rely on the Lord, but you don't commit to the Lord. You can't depend on the Lord until you commit on the Lord. And if you're not committed to the Lord, you're not going to be able to depend on Him. And notice what he says here in Psalms 31. Look at the way it starts. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. He's going to the Lord for a fortress. He's going to the Lord in a time of adversity. He says, Lord, in you I put my trust. How often have we put our trust in someone else, in people, in circumstance? We see today so many people putting their trust Maybe even in a political party instead of on the Lord primarily. We see people putting their trust maybe on a specific group or a specific people. Our trust is in the Lord. And do you see how he's crying out to the Lord first? Because he wants to align himself to the will of God. And if you want to align yourself to the will of God, you're going to cry out to God. And you're going to say, Lord, I'm coming to you. I trust you. I'm coming to you for protection. And I commit completely to you. Notice what it says. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Don't deliver me because of my righteousness. Because my righteousness will never have me delivered. <laughs> deliver me because of how good you are Lord. Deliver me because you're good. Because we you do what is right God. Deliver me because of that. Because of your nature. Notice how it goes. And it continues saying in verse 2. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Lord, deliver me now. Reconcile me, Lord. Do it now, Lord. Please be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. Now, do you see how he's depending on the Lord to defend him? He's depending on the Lord to save him. He's depending on the Lord to not only defend him and to save him, but also to come to him speedily and to be his strength. And, and I, I, we love what he says here now because as he continues reading in verse 3, look what he says, For you are my rock, you are my strength, and my fortress, you are my now defense. Therefore, for your name's because of you. Notice the prayer here in verse 3. Lead me and guide me. <laughs> Isn't that what we need today? Oh, Lord, lead me and guide me. There are those that are talking about me. There are those that are saying evil things about me. There are those that are coming against my character. They're coming against my reputation. But, Lord, you be my defense. You protect my reputation. You protect my character. Because when you defend me, then nobody else has to defend me. You know what happens when you try to defend yourself? The Lord will let you defend yourself. But it's better that you let Him defend you than you try to defend yourself. Because when He defends you, guess what? Guess what? He always wins. And I love this. Because it's teaching us, it's giving us here the, 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 the road map to be able to depend on the Lord. Because it says, lead me and guide me. And in verse 4, He goes on and he says, Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid out for me. For you are my strength. There are those that maybe come against us and they set up a trap for us. And He says, Lord, they've set up a trap for me. I want you to, you know... Remove that trap that they secretly laid out for me. And I trust you. In fact, look what he says. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Now do these words sound familiar to us? Wasn't the Lord Jesus Christ also on the cross? Didn't he say, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. You know what this means? Lord, into your hands I deposit now my spirit into your hand. Lord, rescue me. The safest place for you to be in in is in His hands. The safest place for us to be in is in His hands. And notice what he says, because I'm trusting in your power and I'm trusting in your control, rescue me, you are a faithful God. You're a faithful God. I have hated those who regard useless idols. And he goes on, he says, Lord, look at my commitment and my heart towards you. But I will trust in the Lord, I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy For you have considered my trouble, Lord, you've looked upon my trouble. Therefore, I will be glad and I will rejoice. Have you ever held maybe a, now, resentment in your heart towards somebody because you know they're speaking against you? And you think you're trusting the Lord. You're saying, I put my trust in the Lord, but you still have resentment in your heart. That's not real trust in the Lord. That's not really putting your your spirit and committing it into His hands. You really know that David committed himself over into the hands of God because the outcome of that was that he felt so safe that he can rejoice and that he can be glad. You see that it didn't rob him of his joy, It didn't rob him of his security and his safety in the Lord. In fact, he goes on and says, You know, you understand my soul and adversities are in trouble. And you have not shut me up into the hand of my enemy. You have set my feet in a wide place. Lord, you have rescued me. And you have put me in a place of safety and security and a spacious place where I'm not going to trip up. My enemies may be laid a trap for me, but Lord, you put me in a spacious place, in a safe place. And David knew that he would be able to grow because in his trials, and in his faith in the Lord, even when he put his trust in the Lord. Do you see how he's continuing to depend on him? Now notice in verse 9, it says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief. And he goes back to depending upon God. Lord, I, I'm filled with grief and I'm crying. Lord, I need you right now. Have mercy. I'm in anguish. I'm in tears. I'm, I'm in trouble. Not only is he in trouble, notice that it's affected him physically. Have you ever felt emotionally in anguish so much that it's affecting you physically? Well, that's exactly how David felt. And he runs to the presence of God and says, Lord, I'm in so much anguish that, that my, I, there are tears in my eyes and I have lost all physical strength. I am tired. How many times have we gone through that? Maybe in our own lives. Lord, I'm, I'm weak. And this is what he says in verse 9. My eye is wasting away. I, I, Lord, my strength is drained from me. Yes, my soul and my body. Notice that. My soul from inside and from outside. I am weak. For my life is spent. All my energy is spent with grief. And my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity. And my bones waste away. Lord, I am tired. I am weak. Lord, I need you now. And this is what he's saying now. I know that the enemy and, the, and those that are coming against me are building this pressure. And therefore, I feel weak. I am a reproach among my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. And, my, and I am repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee me. I am forgotten like a dead man out of mind. Lord, I feel alone not only am I hurting inside my body is wasted away but I'm also Lord feeling alone and this is how he's expressing himself and he's saying there is fear on every side I am disgraced even by my enemies let's keep reading here in verse 12 I am forgotten like a dead man out of my mind I am like a broken vessel but isn't that how sometimes the Lord wants to take us to that place where we become a broken vessel? You know what the Lord does with a broken vessel? He can rebuild you. And He uses you as a vessel for His honor. In fact, the, the most beautiful place in our lives is when we are broken. Because that's when we become useful to the Lord. We have to ask the Lord, Lord, at whatever the cost of this Lord, give me brokenness. Because then I become a useful vessel in your hands. And I will trust you in my brokenness. I will trust you in my brokenness. Verse 13. For I hear the slander of many. I hear what they're saying, Lord. I hear what they're telling me. Fear is on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. They're trying to take my life away. They're, they're planning, they're plotting, they're, they have a plan behind my back and they're, they're persecuting me. I feel the opposition now. But notice this verse here in verse 14, because this is a very important verse. In fact, I've always loved this verse. This has always been one of the verses that I, I really just run to when I'm uncertain now of what the future holds. Maybe today you came uncertain of what's going to take place or how things are going to unfold or when you're going to come out of this season already of anguish, of pain, of desperation. Why don't you remember and memorize, meditate on verse 14 because this is what he says, I I know what's happening outside. I can feel the pressure, but as for me, I know what's taking place all around the world, but as for me, notice what he says, as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. As for me, what I do? I trust in you, O oh Lord. This is so important. His focus is fully set on trusting the Lord. This might be taking place all, all around me, but uh, as for me, I trust in you, O oh Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Now, this is amazing because you know what that word, my times are in your hands means? You are my God. My future is in your hands amazing i trust you and not only do i trust you but my future is in the hands of god you know what really builds anxiety in the heart of people and the minds of people is that they are uncertain or they are fearful of the future and we want to be secure of the future in fact we we want security and here david he's saying i don't know what's going to happen i feel the pressure i feel like the 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 pressure is is coming against me and it's so heavy But as for me, I trust in the Lord and my future or my times. And he's not referring to some type of a special schedule or set of events in his life. But he's saying, under every circumstance in which I am surrounded, David is saying, I will trust in in the Lord. Because the Lord is in all the affairs of my life. And God is in, here it is, the details. Sometimes we have to remember that when we start to freak out. That God is in the details. God knows the details. And you don't have to try to defend yourself. You don't have to try to build a case for yourself. It's been said before. I I love this so much that any man who is his own lawyer has a fool for a client. (laughs) Because he thinks that in and of himself he's going to be able to be redeemed. In and of ourselves we will never be redeemed. Therefore, we have to go to the Lord and we must never choose to try to say, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, but I'm going to go to the Lord and I'm going to seek His face. Notice in verse 16, make your face shine upon your servant. There are often times we're going through so much fear and anxiety that we don't want to see anyone. And we change our countenance. We're scared. We're afraid. He says, Lord, take me out of that place and make your face, make your presence shine upon me again. So that I reflect your presence, so that I live in your presence, so that my face is, is shining from your presence. It says, Save me for your mercy's sake, because of your unfailing love, Lord, rescue me. Let me not be ashamed. He's crying out to the Lord for help. Now notice this, verse 17. Do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed, let them be silent in the grave. Let the lion lips be put to silence which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is your goodness. Oh, Lord, thank you because you have responded. This is now victory. You see the victory now? Which you have laid up for those who fear you. Victory for those who fear you. Victory for those who trust in you. Victory is stored up and blessing is stored up on those whose eyes are on the Lord now it says which you have prepared for those who trust in you. Victory if you fear the Lord and victory if you trust in the Lord. You want the Lord to give you victory out of this season? Then trust him and fear the Lord. Because victory is always promised to those that fear him and to those that trust him. And in the middle of that in the middle of that is protection. This is amazing here. Notice this. In the presence of the sons of men. I trust you even in the presence of people. I trust in the Lord. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of man. This is amazing. Lord, you're going to hide me or you're going to protect me now in the secret place of your presence. I'm going to find safety and shelter and protection from the plots of man in the presence of God in your secret place. Why is David saying this? Because he knew David knew that God had left for him a a supply of goodness or a supply of faithfulness and and kindness and mercies that would never fail David. And God has given you a supply of his mercy and of his kindness and of his goodness that is never gonna fail you regardless. Notice how he says this now. You You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion or in a shelter, a pavilion. From the strife of tongues from the strife of tongues what are the strife of tongues when people start speaking bad about us lord you're going to protect us from when other people slander us and you know where he's going to find that protection in the safety of the lord notice this blessed be the lord for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city for i have said in my haste i am cut off from before your eyes Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplication when I cried out to you. Lord, you answered me when I cried out for help. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints. Love the Lord his saints. For the Lord preserves the faithful and he fully repays the proud person. Who does the Lord preserve? He preserves the faithful. Who does the Lord defend? The faithful. Who is the Lord's hand upon? The faithful. But what does he do here the next part? He fully repays. The proud person. The arrogant. Those that don't want to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm humbling myself. Those that think that they don't need the Lord. In fact, we need Jesus just as much as the person that you think that is now broken in their lives and nothing's in order in their lives. You need Christ just as much as that person as well because we are also broken people. It is broken people ministering to broken people. Notice how he goes on and he says this, Be of good courage. Now, this is amazing now. Cheer up, encourage yourself, be strong now. The Lord protects those that are now faithful. The Lord protects those that are humble now. But it tells us here, and it gives us an encouragement in verse 24 be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Be encouraged. God wants to work in your heart, He wants to strengthen your heart. All you who hope in the Lord. And I love this here because He's telling us be strong and courageous. And He's going to strengthen your heart. The Lord wants you to come to Him and and find courage and find encouragement in His presence. And He says, when you find that, guess what's going to happen? The Lord's going to strengthen your heart. He's going to strengthen it. Did you know in the Old Testament, we see those words, strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, almost 20 times. Almost 20 times throughout the entire Old Testament, you see that the Lord commands us to be strong and courageous. you know why He does this and when He does this? He tells us to be strong and courageous as we anticipate now spiritual battles. And maybe right now you're anticipating or you're going to enter or we are in spiritual battles. And God is telling us, be strong and be courageous. I'm going to strengthen your heart. I love this. This is the Lord. His presence is the best counselor. His presence is the best comforter. And the courage and the strength that we need in trials are available in the Lord when we put our faith in Him. They're available there. That's the place that we can find them. Now in in chapter 32, it's a very short chapter. We're going to read it today because this is a confessional giant. Now this is such an amazing portion of scripture now in Psalms 32. Psalms 32 is very similar to Psalms 51. In fact, Psalms 32 and Psalms 51 should be memorized Somewhere in your heart and in your mind, you should write these down in your notebook because these are confessional giants of when David went and confessed to the Lord. And this is related to the event in his life where he fell into sin or entered into temptation with Bathsheba. See that Nathan the prophet said, hey, you've sinned. You've taken someone else's wife. Not only have you committed murder of her husband, but also you have committed adultery And when you went in and you slept with someone else's wife. And you try to manipulate the entire situation where David was trying to hide his sin. Just like we also try to hide our sins oftentimes. We try to manipulate the situation that we can hide our sin, we can hide our guilt, we can hide our shame. And guess what it does? It only breaks us inside, it robs us, and we live literally miserable because we haven't confessed our sin. And that's one of the most refreshing things that you can do as a believer of Jesus Christ to go to the Lord in daily confession. If your prayer time doesn't consist of some type of confession, uh, really you're robbing yourself of the most beautiful times of prayer. Because you cannot have repentance. You can't even have restoration without confession. And the Lord wants you to come as His child to confess. Confess gives you the room now to be restored, to be forgiven. You want forgiveness? Then we must go to the Lord in confession. Do you see how this is all about confession now? And he tells us that he, as he confessed now, forgiveness now brought him true joy. We have to ask the Lord, Lord forgive me of my sins because that's when I will have true joy and true happiness and relief of my guilt. When you try to hold on to your sin, it's like you're carrying a large weight on your shoulders that you cannot do it on your own. And the Lord is saying, just confess that over to me. And I'll forgive you of your sin. Notice what he says in Psalms 32, Blessed is he, or how happy, or what a joy it is. As he's remembering the lessons or the results of confession. I, I encourage you that today we would go home. And we would enter our prayer closet and say, Lord, if there are areas in my life that i haven't confessed about, that I have to confess them right now. Because when you start to do that, guess what happens? A, a spiritual renewal, revival happens when confession takes place. And oftentimes we don't see the Spirit of God flowing in our lives. It doesn't flow freely as in Acts or as the Holy Spirit needs to flow because we haven't confessed to the Lord which is taking place in our hearts and in our lives. We're holding on to the guilt in the sin. We're holding on to the past. This is why he said, oh, how happy. Oh, what a joy now to those whose transgressions is forgiven. Now, the word transgression is, oh, how happy is those who cross the line now who rebelled against God and God forgave them. We all have transgressed. We all have crossed the line in our sin now, but he's saying, Oh, how happy to those that God has forgiven and restores fellowship and their sin is covered. You know, it's better that you go to the Lord and say, Lord, you cover the sin with your blood than you try to cover your own sin in the flesh. And we try to do that oftentimes. We're trying to cover our sin with our pride. We're trying to cover our sin convincing ourselves that what we did was all right. But what he's saying here, he's saying, oh, what a blessing it is that there is freedom in forgiveness now because it is a miserable life to live of the unforgiven. And notice how he continues now. In fact, he says in verse 2, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed is the man, not only who is forgiven, but blessed is the man now whom God does not impute or God does not now uh, now give an account or require from him his own sin. Isn't that amazing that God does not impute in us our own sin? That the Lord Jesus Christ took our sins at the cross and therefore we don't have to now pay the price for our own sins? In fact, man's greatest need is God's greatest deed and that's at the cross. That's exactly what our greatest need is. And and he says this in verse 2, "...who does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit, in whose life now there is no twisting now, or there's no lying now, there's no self-deception, who doesn't live in hypocrisy." When I kept silent, notice in verse 3, he's going to give us the lessons here of resisting now confession. When I kept silent, my bones grew old, through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, and my here, vitality or my strength was turned into the drought of summer. It was just like the drought, so I felt so dry. I felt like the Lord wasn't speaking to me. I felt that I was weak. I felt that the Lord's hand was upon me. I felt that my energy was, was wasted because there was undealt sin in my life, and it led me to spiritual failure. Now ask yourself today, is there any undealt sin in our lives today? Anything that we're trying to hide? Anything that we're keeping silent of? Because maybe you can fool somebody here. You can fool people that love you and they're closest to you the most, but you can't fool God. The worst place in your life is when you think that you can hide something from God. You can't hide nothing from God. And David was trying to hide something from God. And he noticed very quickly that the worst place to be in is when you're trying to hide something from God. This is amazing here for us because it reminds us that the most important part of your life is the part that only God sees. That's the most important part of your life. The most important part of your life is not what other people see or what other people think about you. We have that all confused. The most important part of your life is the part that only God can see. Because that's your character now notice what he says this now verse 5 I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden I was silent but then I confess finally and I acknowledge my sin I didn't hide it from you I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord I said I'm gonna confess I'm not going to hide my transgressions. I'm going to confess them to the Lord. And what happens here in verse 5? And you forgave my, the iniquity of my sin. And I was in that place of spiritual failure. When I was burdened all day long. When I felt your hand of discipline on my life. That it was heavy upon me and my strength was gone. In fact, he's saying I was dried up almost like water in the summer day that I was drought. But I finally I confessed my sin, in verse 5, I didn't hide anything from you. And when I confessed, you forgave me. This is amazing. Why, why are we so scared of confessing before the Lord? You know what the Lord's response is? Is to forgive us. I love that in the Bible, the only place where you see the Lord, where you see God, that He does something that is very quick or almost in a rush, is when the Lord, our Father, is pictured in the parable now of the loving father or the parable of the prodigal son where the father now is looking from a distance to his son and guess what in that time in the Jewish culture the fathers didn't run (laughs) the father is not going to go to the son and run in urgency The, the son you better come over here and the son would run to the father but you see that the father quickly ran to the son to do one thing to restore him you know what the Lord loves to do with his children Is to restore them. And the Lord wants to restore us. But that place of restoration happens when we go to confess to the Lord. Now notice this. What did the Lord do? For this cause, everyone, he says here now, for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found surely in the flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. Lord, even in the flood of great waters, when we pray to you, those waters will not drown us. The waters of guilt, the waters of shame, the waters of condemnation. The only reason sometimes that we feel we're drowning in condemnation is because we haven't confessed. If you feel like you're drowning in condemnation or in guilt or in sin, Confess to the Lord. Because what he's saying here, Lord, you canceled my debt. You cleared now my debt. You cleansed my record and my heart that as I offended you in my sin, you forgave me of all my sin. And you remove my guilt from being ashamed, you wash me with your blood and you deliver me of guilt. Now your, this forgiveness that I'm, that I'm experiencing what David is saying, is something worth singing about, because he was convicted in his conscience. Now do you see now how he has peace? This really teaches us that, that secret sin cannot coexist with true peace. Secret sin in your life cannot coexist with true peace. If you are hiding some type of sin in our lives, it will rob us every single day of the peace and the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. But the peace returns to us only when we fully confess and we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and we forsake that sin. Now notice as he goes on in verse 6 and 7, it says, verse 7, You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs. Here it is. The title of the message. Songs of Deliverance. Isn't that awesome? Lord, but I went to confess to you. And you answered me. I confess. You preserved me in trouble. And you're going to protect me now with songs of deliverance now. And look at what he says as we continue reading. I will instruct you. It says... And teach you in the way that you should go I will guide you with my eye these are the songs look at the songs that the Lord wants to give you I will instruct you and I will teach you God wants to give us instruction God wants to give us teaching now notice in verse 8 this is there's nothing more refreshing than to know this because this is the joy of obedience now the Lord says I will guide you along with the past pathway in life I will give you the advice that you need, the counsel. I will watch over you. I will teach you. I will guide you now. But notice this. With my, circle this, my eye. (laughs) What does that mean? God's going to guide you and teach you with His eye? What does that mean? It means that if you want the direction, you want Him to guide you and to teach you, you must spend time looking at His face. (laughs) Looking at His face. And the only time that you can look at His face is by... Really spending time in devotion in the Lord sitting at his feet, spending time in the presence of God so that he can guide us now with his eye. I love that. The Lord wants to guide you with his eye. You remember Mary of Bethany when she was sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his word, and the Lord says, told Martha, Martha, you're distracted. She's chosen the best part. She's sitting at my feet, and guess what she was doing? Looking at the face of Jesus. And the Lord was guiding her, leading her, and instructing her. You want to be led? Guided and instructed. There was a a famous sculpture of Thor's Walden now, an artist that he painted or not painted, but he did a sculpture now of Jesus. A very large life-size sculpture of Jesus. And Jesus was was sitting on a rock with a hood over his now head. And as you looked at Jesus, you couldn't really see his face from a standing position. You walked into that statue, you could not see the face of Jesus because of how he had sculpted Jesus from a standing position. However, next to the statue, there was a sign that the artist had put there, and it said this, if you want to see the face of Jesus, you must sit at his feet. That was amazing. And sure enough, as people would sit at the feet of Jesus, they would look up and they would be able to see the face of Jesus. When was the last time you saw the face of Jesus? The only way and the only place that you can see the face of Jesus is if you sit at His feet in devotion. If you sit at His feet in prayer. If you sit at His feet in worship. Because if you, you want to be led by Him, if you want to be guided by Him, you must sit at His feet. Notice what He says here. Do not be like the horse or like the mule which have no understanding. Don't be like a rebellious animal that by force needs to be put under submission which needs to be harnessed with a bit and a bridle else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord's mercy shall surround him. When we trust in the Lord, the Lord will surround us now with his mercy. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, as shout for joy all you upright in heart. What is he saying? We can rejoice in the Lord, in the Lord, all those whose heart is unto him. Can we go ahead and pray right now? Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus. We ask right now, Lord, that maybe we're in a place that we need songs of deliverance. That as we're in a place, God, where we need you to answer us, that you would do that, Lord. I pray for anyone here that is holding on to something that you have called them to let go.